morning, everybody, and welcome to the Jewish Reaction, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad. And, uh, coming up here during JM and the AM's Marathon Week, we have a great show coming up for you uh, today. We're going to be talking about um, eating disorders within the Jewish community. This week is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Obviously, this is something uh, that people are uncomfortable with, that people might not know and or acknowledge that exists in our community, but it certainly is, and it's something to be aware of. Um, just for people to know, tomorrow night, Wednesday night on February 26th at 8 p.m., the OU is going to be putting on a webcast. Um, this year's National Education Awareness Week theme is I Had No Idea, which is to raise awareness towards the significant impact eating disorders have on individuals, families, and communities across the country. The more people who learn about these life-threatening illnesses, the more lives uh, we can save. So the, the webinar that's going to be this week is going to be a panel discussion or a roundtable discussion of three leading experts in the field uh, of eating disorders and particularly speaking about eating disorders within the Jewish community. Um, but on the show today, we're going to be speaking with Eli Sheva Diamond. Uh, Eli Sheva Diamond, who um, I've known for many years, is currently the director of the Eating Disorder Program at Chemed in Lakewood, New Jersey. Uh, she received her BA from Barnard, her MA from Queens in neuroscience, and she's currently a clinical psychology doctoral candidate at Long Island University in Brooklyn. Um, and she's also, she's become known within the Jewish community because she was executive producer of a film, Hungry to be Heard. Uh, we'll speak a little bit about it later on, in just a little bit, with Eli Sheva. Um, but Hungry to be Heard was a groundbreaking movie that she produced addressing eating disorders within the Jewish community. And she'll speak a little bit about how the idea came about, how it got started, where it went, and what the reception from the community uh, has been. Um, so again, the Jewish Reaction on the Nachum Siegel Network. We're going to kick it off. Uh, this is actually a song from the movie. It's entitled Lovely. It was written by Rebecca Fishman Lipsy, and it is sung by Fools for April. You are No, you want this pain to end When I look deep inside your heart Please don't sacrifice the soul within We can breathe this moment by As a silent tear runs down your face You will find the strength to cry You are lovely You are, you are, 
And that was lovely, written by Rebecca Fishman Lipsy and sung by Fools for April as the theme song from Hungry to Be Heard, a documentary designed to raise awareness of eating disorders in the Orthodox community. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler, I'm the Associate Director of Yachad, and I'm excited to introduce my guest. My guest is Ellie Sheva Diamond, who received her BA from Barnard College and her MA from Queens College in neuroscience. Currently, she's a clinical psychology doctoral candidate at LIU, and she's currently the director of the Eating Disorder Program at Chemed in Lakewood, New Jersey. Ellie Sheva Diamond, welcome to the Jewish Reaction. Thank you. So, Ellie Sheva, I mean, obviously, I would assume that you're aware of this, as I know many people are. Uh, this week is National Eating Disorder Week. Um, my first question to you is, how did you get involved in this field, and is it necessary to have a week dedicated to National Eating Disorder Awareness and Education? Um, so I got involved because I've long been interested in psychological um, difficulties that people experience, particularly those in which there needs to be some kind of bodily or corporeal um, manifestation where people are either, you know, engaging in self-injury or ingesting narcotics or, you know, cocaine or other things or in other body destructive behaviors, including eating disorders. Um, it, it, I find that there's really so much room to help people who can't find words and can't find language for their pain. And if you can help them find language for their pain, then they no longer need to manifest itself through their body. So that's something that I've long been interested in, and it, is, it can be a very challenging field to work in, um, particularly in the field of eating disorders, because patients are often really connected to their eating disorder. It's something that is their coping mechanism, and it's providing them with um, a lot of help and benefit, um, albeit in a very maladaptive way. And until they can find other ways to cope and you help them develop that, it's going to be really hard for someone to let go of something that's been working for them in some way or another. Another reason why eating disorders are so challenging is because unlike drugs or alcohol or self-injury or other maladaptive coping mechanisms, you can't say to someone, just don't eat or you can just avoid it. Like there's not an abstinence model for treatment from an eating disorder because this is something we all have to do numerous times a day in order to be healthy and take care of ourselves. And part of the challenge is helping people find a healthy relationship with food, a healthy relationship with their body, and that can be so complicated for so many people. And because it can be so complicated for so many people and because we're talking about something where so many people are suffering to different extents, an awareness week really is necessary. Is uh, so now. Let's focus a little bit specifically on, on the Jewish community. Um, I'm sure that when you um, when you started and came up with the idea, and you were the executive producer of the film "Hungry to Be Heard," that you probably did a ton of research specifically within the Orthodox community. But are eating disorders so prevalent in the Jewish community? Meaning, I'm assuming from having grown up that it's not something that's at the forefront. We don't talk about it. You don't see it. Is it really there? So I think there's a lot of problems that we don't talk about and we don't see, and people would really like to not talk about and not see. Any form of mental illness is something that it's very much there, and it's very much something that exists within our community, and no one wants to look at it. No one wants to be the first one to raise their hands and say, oh, hi, I'm the one with an eating disorder. I'm the one with mental illness. I'm the one who's struggling and suffering. It's painful enough without the shame and the stigma being part of it. 
in terms of the prevalence in the Jewish community, it's actually really challenging to have good data because places who are doing good epidemiological research, where they're doing research about you know who is you know what's the prevalence of disorders, what's the prevalence in different populations, no one's really collecting data on you know whether or not a patient's Jewish. They're certainly not collecting data on whether or not a patient's Orthodox because that's often not what you're doing as part of an intake necessarily and you know part of like a census census kind of information in terms of prevalence. So as of yet, there is not a ton of great research. There's a couple of studies here and there. Um, there's a study out of Toronto, so that tells us what it's like in Canada. Um, there's been there's a study that's often cited about an inflated rate of eating disorders in the Orthodox community, but as someone who also has a research science background, it's not something where that study has great research methodology, so it's not. Um, something that I would feel comfortable citing in terms of the numbers. People are starting to look at this in Israel. There's definitely an increased interest, particularly among people who work in the eating disordered world within the Jewish community and having some good numbers that we can give to people. Um, However, we don't actually have that data right now. What I do know is that when I was doing the film and when I've you know, been continuing to work within this community and within the eating disordered world, both in and outside of the Jewish world, people who work on inpatient units will tell you they always have an Orthodox patient on the unit or they often have an Orthodox patient on the unit. So they're saying, we can't tell you the research numbers. We can't tell you something that's statistically significant, but we'll, we'll tell you anecdotally what we're seeing. And we're seeing that there's a lot of Jews who are suffering. Is is it something that's, you know, within the Jewish community that is inciting this and pushing people towards this? Or is it, you know, something that you're born with and you've got to deal with it as you get older? Eating disorders are a great example of a biopsychosocial illness which is to say that there is a biological genetic component, there's a social cultural component, and there's also a psychological component. So there's all these different aspects that are contributing to the development of an eating disorder. So there's reason to believe that some people are born with a certain predisposition to an eating disorder. There might be genetic factors. And then in the presence of a trigger, that may be that this is the way that they choose to cope. It's not something where there's one direct and, you know, established route to an eating disorder. But that's true of most mental illness. So, if, Ellie, from from your own research, from the, the time that you have spent in the Orthodox community and speaking to people and speaking at schools and programs and shuls, do you find from your own personal research that it's, that it's more, that it affects more women than men? I mean, I would, that's the general, I guess, understanding that the non-educated people have, that there's something that women deal with more than men. But is that true? So it is true that this is something that women deal with more than men. However, the rate of men who are struggling with disordered eating is rising. So I, I guess before continuing, we really should explain what is, what does it mean to have an eating disorder? Is it somebody... Meaning, in terms of looking at someone, is it somebody who's going to be very, very light? Somebody who's going to be very, very heavy? It could be anything and everything in between. And what quantifies the point where you can say, okay, someone has an eating disorder? So there's definitely a difference between disordered eating and in eating disorder. Um, 
you can't look at someone and know. In extreme circumstances, you can definitely see if someone is, you know, really emaciated. Um, you might suspect that they have an eating disorder. It might be that they're that thin because of a medical illness or some other reasons, but it's not like there's only one way in which an eating disordered person looks. Um, you know, often people who are eating disordered are not getting enough nutrients. So they may look like they have a sallow complexion or their nails or their hair might not look as strong or lustrous because they just their body is leaching minerals and vitamins from anywhere that they can get it because they're not because they're really so malnourished. But that doesn't mean that like to the average person you would say, Oh well that's what an eating sword person looks like. You might see someone and say, Wow, they're really not looking great. Um in terms of the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating is really a question of severity um, and to what extent is it impacting your health and your wellness and your mental well-being. There's um, some criteria that just they're not doing anymore because people's bodies are so idiosyncratic. So it used to be that one of the criteria that was necessary for a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa, or what most people would call anorexia, would be anamarinaria. I never pronounced that word correctly, which is a little bit well, I'm not. I'm not going to be able to help you. Um, anamarinaria. So anamarinaria. Mm, I see it. I can spell it. Anyway, so that's actually a cessation of a period of a menstrual cycle. And it used to be that, like, you could not get a diagnosis without it. It was one of the necessary criteria in the dsm four. In the dsm five, they've taken it out because there's a recognition that people's bodies are so different. And I've seen people who restrict food for a little while and end up in the hospital because they're orthostatic or their heart rate becomes irregular. And some people can abuse their bodies for a very long time without actually having any physical side effects. But it's unpredictable. So they might be able to do this for months or even years and be fine and somehow, like, skate by in terms of medical stabilization. And then all of a sudden, they can't anymore and they really get ill. But there's a really um, a lot of variability in terms of how much someone's body can tolerate. Wow. It's, it's fascinating work. I mean, it must be very, I mean, at times stressful uh, days just having to deal and speak and engage with people who are going through you know, something that's so difficult. Uh, you're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad, and I'm being joined today by Eli Sheva Diamond, who's the Director of the Eating Disorder Program at Chemed, uh, located in Lakewood, New Jersey. Uh, and she's all, she was also the executive producer of the film Hungry to be Heard, a documentary designed to raise awareness of eating disorders uh, within the Orthodox community. Um, Eli Sheva, talk a little bit about uh, what went into creating the film Hungry to be Heard, why you did it, how you did it, and what the reaction has been from our community? Um, so I had noticed that there was a real deficit of awareness and information about eating disorders within the community, and there was a lot of people who I knew who were well-educated and very thoughtful parents and worked really hard at it. They were deliberate parents. This was something that they took seriously as a responsibility to educate their children and to take care of their children and be good parents, but they didn't know anything about eating disorders. They just were clueless, and I was concerned that in the absence of information, people would really miss signs that their kids were struggling. 
And that's really part of, you know, part of what's important to me about this work is it's not just the medical, you know, side effects, which are very significant, and people can really become quite ill, and the highest uh, mortality rate of any mental illness is associated with anorexia nervosa, but people are really, really suffering, and that, to me, is important. If there was no medical um effects at all. If people physically were never getting ill, it would be really important to recognize the fact that people were suffering and they need help and that parents wouldn't be able to know that their kids were suffering. They just wouldn't know what the signs look like. And so I set out to raise awareness within the community. Initially, I had thought I would do a lecture series or something like that, and I found that no one's really interested in helping you when you're doing when you're talking about how you're going to bring lectures and do information sessions. But when I realized that a film would be much more efficient because I would have quality control over the information, films are sexy and people get excited and then they want to help you. Look, I mean, the hard, yeah, the hardest thing to do is to get people to come out to an event, especially when you're discussing a topic that makes people very uncomfortable. Exactly. So it was definitely um, a struggle, and you know, part of the way that I raised the money. So the OU uh, funded a part of it, and a part of it I raised through fundraising. And I would take a psychologist who is an expert in eating disorders, and someone, um, a survivor of an eating disorder, who was generous enough to come all over the tri-state area and share her story in multiple living rooms, and then we would just make a plea for money, and we would basically say, we can't do this every night. So we need to be able to get this information to people another way, and people were remarkably generous, and I was able to raise a lot of money from the community, and I just started letting people know what I was doing. It's really uncomfortable, obviously, if you know that someone struggled with an eating disorder to approach them and be like, hey, did you want to tell your story on camera? (laughs) How do you feel about that? Yeah, I can see Um, that. (laughs) So that was not the route that I went. Instead, I just let everyone and anyone know what I was doing. So I'm not like a huge Facebook fan, but I'm a big believer in Facebook for instrumental use. So I just posted all over Facebook. I was like, I'm doing this project. If you know anyone who's interested, let me know. And through different routes and just really everyone knew that I was doing this, and it took much longer than I anticipated, as these things often do. Um, and I was really so amazed by the people who came forward and were willing to help, by the clinicians whose time is very valuable and who are incredibly busy, who volunteer their time to be interviewed on camera, and the people more than that, the survivors who are willing to share their stories on camera, both the men and women and the family members who are willing to come forward and say on camera to the entire community, I have this problem and this, or this is something that I've been through, and I'm sharing my story because I hope that other people can be helped. So, Alicia, once you had all the, the money and all the people in place and the filming was done and the, the movie was created and was produced, what and how did you go about getting it into the community and into the schools and into the shuls and actually getting people to understand that this is a problem we as a greater community are dealing with? So I premiered the film at the OU convention in Israel, um, I think in 2008. So I think November 2008, if that's, I hope I'm correct, Thanksgiving. I premiered the film in Israel, and thankfully Frank Bachoitz from the OU was in the audience, and he was like, this is important. And if someone doesn't take this up as their project, this is going to get lost. 
So he really made it his mission, among his multiple other missions at the OU, to get this out and to make it available to schools and shuls and to let people know that this was available. And he has partnered with other organizations um, and shown it as part of a conference that partnered with the Renfrew Conference at Ramaz a few years ago. It was partnered with Shepard Pratt in Baltimore to the conference on eating disorders in the Orthodox community a few years ago, and I went and showed the film there. And Sarah Weinberger-Lippmann and I, um, Sarah is the associate producer of the film, have been for years, as long as this film has been out, have been going all over the tri-state area. If you want to show the film and you need someone to come and answer questions, we will be there. Is this something that you've thought about and or already have taken it broader than just the New York, New Jersey area? So it's definitely been out there. People know about it. I know um, uh, every now and then I'll hear from someone who works at the OU who knows, like, this is my baby. Like, just, you know, they would, like, text or call me, just, you know, someone just called from Australia. Someone just called from Israel. Someone wants the film. Um, And it's great to hear that it's really getting out there. But what ends up being more important to me is every now and then I end up being hooked up with someone from some way or another who ends up saying to me, wait, it's you? This is your film? This changed my life. Wow. And having people from all over the place, you know, I had a conversation with a girl from Toronto who she, she was talking about how what was important to her about the film was it helped people in her life understand that this wasn't a choice. This wasn't something that she was willingly doing to herself. You know, once she showed it to her friends and family, one of her friends said to her, goes, oh, I get it. You're not doing this on purpose. That's right. That's something that we struggle with with a lot of things. I mean, you brought up the topic before about drugs and alcohol. You know, if somebody's an alcoholic, oh, what's the big deal? Just don't have another drink. It's not always just that simple of, okay, I can stop when I want. I can just, you know, it's a choice that I'm making to not pour that drink. It's not something that everybody's just able to do. Right. Exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, an addictive personality or genetic predisposition. But however you understand it, at the end of the day, what's important to realize is saying to someone, don't drink, or saying to someone, don't eat, or do eat. It's just not that simple. Just not that simple. really mean so well. People are so well-intentioned. And they just think, if I, I can, I'll be your cheerleader. I'll just, like, be your cheerleader, and I'll just cheer you on. And, like, just come on, eat the spaghetti. You'll be fine. And they don't know the demons that someone is wrestling with in their head. It's just not and that simple for them. It's just, exactly, it's just not that simple for them. You're listening to The Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad, and we're speaking with Eli Sheva Diamond, who is the director of the Eating Disorder Program at Chemed in Lakewood, New Jersey, and the executive producer of the film Hungry to be Heard, a documentary designed to raise awareness of eating disorders uh, throughout uh, the Orthodox community. Of course, we're speaking about this topic this week, as this week is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Um, and the OU, just for everybody to be aware, this coming Wednesday night, tomorrow night, uh, February 26th at 8 p.m., is going to be having a webcast online, uh, basically of a roundtable discussion dealing with and discussing uh, eating disorders within the uh, Orthodox community. If you want to find out more about that, you can certainly do that at OU.org. Um, Eliasheva, continuing on talking about eating disorders within the Jewish community, um, I think the general, and I mentioned this earlier, the general understanding, for lack of a better word, the general assumption uh, is that this is something that's more prevalent in girls and women than it is men, and something that's prevalent more within 
um, all women, specifically within high school and or college age uh, girls. Is that true as well? It definitely has um, a propensity to show up during that period, but people can sometimes show up for treatment or sometimes really get sick enough to need treatment, not just that this is a time that they're willing to seek treatment at all stages of life. Uh, There's an increased... um, awareness now that there's a lot of middle-aged women who are having first episode eating disorders and there's other people who are having it comes up so is there something that 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 causes that for them like i would think if somebody in the jewish community somebody who's you know watch tv and movies who's just around that being in school maybe being in a co-ed environment um and that pressure might be something that might bring it upon for a girl somebody to deal with um, is that something that's made up, not true, just an assumption that people have? I think that it's just a lot more complicated than that. I think it's really simple to look at certain things. I think people go and they look at certain magazines or they look at TV shows and they say, oh, this is what's you know craving it. It's this sort of pressure. Um, but everyone is... You know, subject to that pressure. And I'm not saying that it's not a problem and we shouldn't be sort of more inclusive and mindful about what's acceptable and the, you know, how much we focus on inner versus outer beauty and what bodies are okay and, you know, creating an environment in which whatever body you have, as long as you're healthy and you have a good relationship with food and you're active, you don't have to be a certain size. You don't have to look a certain way. There needs to be room for variety. That being said, I think it's a really simplistic answer to say it's because, um, you know, you want to look good for the boys in your class or because, you know, you saw these models and you want to be just like them. That may be part of the problem, but if you have an inner core sense of self that's really strong, you're not as affected. But that, that inner core sense, you know, and strength that people might have might be so, over time, might just get overwhelmed by the added pressures of school, of camp, of community, of looking good, of, oh, I got to wear that dress to that wedding, and whatever the other pressures that might come up are. That's absolutely true. I think that, you know, people cannot withstand an assault forever. Um, I think that, you know, with added pressure over time, there's, you know, and even the strongest person is affected. I think they're just more complicated than that. I think that often what we're talking about with patients in the room, we're not talking about the TV or the people they see on TV, or, but we're talking much more about the other things you referenced in terms of all the pressures and how are they coping with pressure in their life. What's their relationship with their body? How connected are they to their body? How kind can they be? How much self-care can they engage in? And that's a really big problem in the Jewish community where it's we do everything for everyone else. There really needs to be a focus on we need to do things for ourselves too. That you, in order for people to draw water from your personal well of resources, you need to put water in there. And there needs to be an investment in yourself, and people need to take care of themselves. And that needs to be okay. You need to feel like, I can take care of myself without feeling guilty. I can carve out time that, yes, I do chesed, and I'm a mom, or I'm a daughter, and I'm a sister, and I'm a wife, or I'm a husband, or whatever roles we have. And we can be responsible about those things while still making sure that we're responsible about taking care of ourselves. I think that's a very interesting point. I mean, you know, working for Yachad is something that I see uh, all the time, is that a lot of the times... 
you know, parents and may also even siblings um, are so tied into what's happening with their child or their sibling with special needs that they often forget to take care of themselves. And or if it's a parent, they often can forget to take care of and spend time with and be with their other children. When, when dealing with people with eating disorders, do you also work with the family, aside from just the actual individual themselves? And if so, what what's their mentality? What's their you know process to go through something like this? So it certainly depends on the family and the age of the patient in terms of how involved or not involved the family is. And it's fairly individualized to the family in terms of whether their needs, what's their process, what's going on for them. You know, it's the same way as any other sick child or a special needs child. That can really be what encompasses the whole family. The whole family can really get caught up in all of the craziness that is involved in all of this child's needs. Um, and that's something that each family navigates differently. And as part of treatment, you hopefully try to help the family navigate. And some treatment models are more inclusive of the family, some are less. A lot of treatment involves some form of family therapy. It really depends on the life stage of the patient and the family themselves. Mm-hmm. Have you had a situation where, uh, just use the, uh, the example of a parent, where a parent wasn't willing to accept that this is a reality? You know, for example, if, if your child has, God forbid, let's say, cancer or has uh, a disease or has an illness or has even something like strep or fever, they have to accept it because you can see it. You know, they can show it to you. Right. Um, eating disorder is not something necessarily that can be seen Clearly, um, are there parents who are either in denial or have trouble understanding and processing that this is a reality that's happening in their family? Absolutely, and that was one of the purposes of the film. The film was really geared towards parents. That was our target audience, to educate them about what this is like in ways that their child may not be able to say it to them. Often their children are suffering in silence and can't communicate it to them and can skate by for a very long time without notice. So what is it, I guess this is going to be my next question, but let me jump into it now. What is it that a parent, a friend, a sibling, an uncle, a grandmother, whatever it is, signs to look for if this is something that is affecting someone in your family? Um, Excuse me. So I think one of the things that's important to look for is when someone seems sadder, like some of the psychological signs may show up before some of the physical signs. They might be more socially isolated. They might become more obsessive about things and more rigid and limited in the things that they do. Often people who are very rigid and limited about their food will become very rigid and limited about other things. If you find that there's a change in diet pattern, all of a sudden someone's interested in being a vegetarian, and obviously vegetarianism itself is not like this significant warning sign, but you know, in conjunction with over-exercising or all of a sudden cutting out certain food groups, um, a lot of focus on these things. Someone who seems sadder and less engaged in the world, less, you know, engaged socially, might be start withdrawing from meals. You might find that someone all of a sudden is really avoiding meals or is like pushing food around on their plate. Often they're trying to not come to the table at all. If we're talking about people who are more the restrictive end, um, 
people, you know, who are engaging in other forms of disordered eating, you know, it could be something else. Sometimes one of the things that families see is they notice that food's missing because often people who are binge eaters are eating in private. So a family will, you know, a family member will come down in the morning into the kitchen and notice that there are some things that just aren't there anymore. And it might just be all of last night's leftovers are gone and they had been planning to take it for lunch. And, you know, the cookies that were there are all gone or whatever it is, they might notice missing food. Uh, but often, you know, what really is important to look for are the emotional signs. And having conversations with your kids about their emotional life on a regular basis helps. You know, having conversations where you sit down with your kids and you ask them what's going on, and you don't ask them what's going on like, hey, what's going on, or tell me about your day at school, because no one knows how to answer that. I mean, if you think about your day, your day is so long, and there's so much stuff that happens, and there's ups and downs and all this excitement, and everything that happens is having a different kind of conversation. We don't say, oh, how was your day, or tell me something about your day. Say, oh, did you have a moment today where you felt really lonely? Did you have a moment today where you felt really proud of yourself? What was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? And starting to have an emotionally sensitive and aware conversation with your kids. People talk about one of the best things that you can do to prevent eating disorders is having even just one more meal as a family together a week. And at the meal, you don't focus on the food. You don't talk about it, but you talk about feelings. You talk about what's going on in a way that's open and honest and leaves room for things not to be okay. Often kids feel like they need to protect their parents, like it's painful for their parents if they're suffering or they don't want their parents to know that they're in pain or they're having a rough time. And... They want to protect their parents, and the parents need to communicate to them that it's okay. You don't have to protect me. Things don't have to be okay. I love you even when you're having a rough day. Elisha, is there an age-appropriate time or an age minimum, I guess, where a parent can start to think about having those types of conversations with their kids? Is a five-year-old able to have or should be having that type of conversation? Obviously, a teenager certainly can be prepared and can be ready to have that conversation. But how young is too young or how young is right? Um, I think it depends on your kid. It, it depends on what the situation is with your kid. Um, in general, I think that what you do for your kids or you try to do for your kids is you try to create a healthy and active lifestyle. You try to create a, you know, a house in which there is healthy and a variety of different foods all the time and that the family is active together, where this is just part of what you do. We have a family in which we talk about our feelings, and we talk about what's going on with us, and we're connected, so that you're creating an environment that prevents an eating disorder or creates a place where your kid can come to you when they're struggling. In terms of the awareness of eating disorders, the problem is that Depending on the age of the kid, depending on the kid themselves and their developmental level and their, you know, emotional awareness or what's going on, how impressionable they are, it can become an idea that you give to someone. So you want to say more to your kids. I say in general with most things, you like create an environment that you tell your kids you can come to me with anything. And you just make that clear to them in as many ways as you can. You can always come to me with anything. And with, you know, giving awareness about eating disorders, I think that's something that as a general, like, real eating disorder awareness can wait until high school and should wait until later in high school. But in earlier years, you can do some of the prevention work. You can do the work about feeling good about their body. You can do the work about praising them for how they look no matter what. 
but also praising them for their achievements and praising them for their effort, making them feel good about themselves in a way that's authentic. I don't think you praise kids for things they're not doing. I mean, I think that based on fake. based on the, the, a lot of this conversation, it's like that that the concept of an eating disorder or disordered eating, as you put it earlier, is really much broader than just somebody thinks of an eating disorder. They think that somebody's either anorexic or bulimic, and there's nothing else. There's a, there's a lot more that's going into it than just somebody either refuses to eat or they're eating just so that they can make themselves throw up. There's a lot more to it than just those two diagnoses. Yes, absolutely. How do you how do you do it? Meaning, <laughs> I I don't mean it the way it sounds, but I, I guess I really do. Is that it, it's very. Like, I guess for me, like, I can relate a little bit. I'm not comparing the two at all uh, to working for Yachad and working with, with people with disabilities and families with disabilities. And when a family calls you and says, you know, thank you so much for helping me do X, that made my day, that made my week, that made my month, that's what keeps you going. Right. But for you, you're not getting those as often because it's a process. It's a long, drawn-out process, which I'm sure, you know, you could have every time you take two steps forward, you take a step back and slowly you're, you're improving and getting gradually better, but it's not, you know, there's no end in sight. I, I don't mean it the way it sounds. I guess it's hard to formulate my question, but you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I think that it's really helpful if you truly and honestly believe that there is hope that people can get better. And I think of my job often as the holder of the hope that the patient cannot keep for themselves. And I hold it for them until they're willing, they're ready and willing to take it from me. And I think knowing that people do get better and people who look like they shouldn't and wouldn't and are, you know, terribly medically compromised or sicker than people you've seen before, they get better. And knowing that really can be so helpful and knowing that you're helping people create a richer life, a life that's really worth living, something that is more engaged where they can, you know, they, when you check out, when you eating disorder, you check out from life, you check out from your body, you have to check out from your body. And then you can't just check out from things selectively. It's not like we can turn off bad emotions. When we turn off our bad emotional life and try to turn off all of our negative experiences, we end up turning off our positive experiences. You can really reawaken people to a different way of living. You can, and, yeah, so you're not getting so phone calls all the time, but you can get those moments. You can get a moment in a session with a patient where they just feel understood for the first time, where they can feel something they've never felt before. And those don't happen all the time, but they happen often enough that when they happen, I feel like I am the luckiest person in the world that I get to do this work. And that's what keeps you coming back. And that's what keeps me going back. So can someone be cured from having an eating disorder? Um, Or or, or is it a mentality? People have different opinions on this. People talk about being in recovery versus being recovered, whether it's something. um, You know, some people talk about it sort of as this monkey on their back that's always there, this voice that's always in your head. Um, I think that the voice can get lower and lower and lower and lower till it's barely an imperceptible whisper. And there may be times when things are more stressful and it may be more challenging and that might be your, your first place that you go because under tremendous stress, we go to our first coping mechanism. So if your first coping me- mechanism is not to eat, and especially if you're really anxious, a lot of us don't eat when we're anxious or we get like a stomach full of butterflies and who could put food in the stomach of butterflies? So it might still come 
warm up, but you get much better at knowing what's happening. And you might know, like, wow, I really don't feel like eating, but I've been through enough, and I know I don't want to go back there. And I know that what I have to do right now for myself is take care of myself. And actually, what's going to help me navigate this crisis is taking care of myself. I mean, it's really, it's it's entirely, maybe not entirely, but it's a mental battle that someone has with themselves. It is absolutely a mental battle that someone has with themselves. And if you think about how you're doing at the end of Yom Kippur or the end of Tisha B'Av, I'm assuming you're not at your best. <laughs> right? You're not, like... You're most, you know, cognitively sharp. You're not making your best jokes. You're not engaging with people in the most engaged possible way that you have. You're not in your best mood. So that's where someone is. So it's a mental battle, but with someone whose cognitive resources have been so compromised by their lack of nutrition. Wow. And that's something, so often sometimes what you just need to do is get someone weight restored because the weight restoration is such an important part of being able to just think clearly. I mean, just to, to get all of their levels of vitamins or minerals that have been depleted to build those up to allow them to then think clearer or understand better. Yes, and there's also evidence that there is a neural effect in the sense that the gray matter in the brain does shrink in response to excessive nutrient deprivation. However, it seems that with refeeding, that comes back. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's very interesting and it's very fascinating to me. And I think the work that you're doing um, is incredible. Alicia, we have just, just a few minutes left. Let me ask you my, my last question for you. Sure. Um, and then I'll ask you to you know, add on to that any other last tidbits or parting wisdom that you want to give. But what is the advice at the end of a presentation, at the end of showing the movie and doing a Q&A? What's that last piece of advice that you leave with people or that you leave specifically with parents? Um, what do you tell them? I tell them that it's important to have a healthy relationship with your own body because your kids see what you do. So when you're standing in front of the mirror and you're criticizing your own body or you're talking about yourself a certain way or your husband or your wife is talking about you a certain way, kids are sponges. They're picking this up. Speak kindly to yourself and in front of your kids and in general about your own body. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to your spouse. And your kids will get that message. So, oh, it's okay. You know, look, you know, mommy is in her snood and her housecoat, if that's your scene, and daddy is still telling her she looks great. He's still telling her he really loves her. You don't have to look like you're a runway model to get someone to appreciate you. And that you tell your kids that they look good and you make them feel good about themselves, but you also tell them that they are amazing to you in all these other ways. At the end of the day, people need to know that they have value. And they don't have value because they have accomplishments and they don't have value because they have achievements and they don't have to be perfect to be lovable. But they're lovable and they're worthy and they're good enough just as they are. Which doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to, you know, grow and develop and improve yourself, but that doesn't change your essential lovability that doesn't change your essential sense of worth i i, don't, I got nothing to add to that <laughs> i think leave it at that 
<laughs> You've been listening. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the associate director of Yachad, and I'm being joined uh, by Elisheva Diamond. For those of you who joined us a little bit late, um, Elisheva is currently the director of the Eating Disorder Program at Chemed in Lakewood, New Jersey, and she's also the executive producer of the film Hungry to Be Heard, a documentary designed to raise awareness of eating disorders in the Orthodox. Uh, community, and of course, we're speaking about this now and this week, as this week is National Dis- uh, Eating Disorder Awareness Week, um, and everyone should be aware, as I said earlier, the OU is doing a, a panel discussion, a webinar, a webcast, uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, February 26th at 8 p.m. Uh, to find out more information about that or to watch it, uh, please visit OU.org. Um, Elishev, I want to thank you for joining me. I want to thank you for spending the time with me. Um, I hope that you know people are becoming more educated and that you continue the great work you're doing. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. You got it. Thank you. You're listening to The Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad. Uh, and just a little bit of time left before the end of our show. Uh, make sure to catch us here next week again, every Tuesday morning, right here on NachumSiegel.com, as we can give you a little bit of a taste of what's going on in the Jewish community um, and share some of the programs that are happening throughout uh, the Orthodox Union. Coming up here, we have uh, one of my most favorite songs, which I think fits uh, with the mood of what we've been talking about. Here is the Miami Boys Choir with Can We Bring the World It's Only Sunshine and Yaakov Shweki with Cry No More.
have stood against the tide as the trials of life enclose us. There's an hour's plan to revel in our task at hand, knowing why Hashem just chose
fallen, many is we're calling, please, no more. Many broken hearted, friends lost and departed, please, no more. Now the time has come, everyone must stand together. Be strong forevermore. Young and helpless children, illness and confusion, please, no more. Old and lonely people, hunger, war and evil, please, no more. Now the time has come. Everyone is one forever. Let his kingdom rise again. Cry no more, Yerushalayim. Shine once more, Yerushalayim. We need to see. Upon the mountain of Asher, and then we'll cry no more. Hatred without reason, please, no more. Weapons of destruction, terror and corruption, please, no more. Oh, now the time has come. Return and stay this time forever. Let us glory shine.
And that was Jakob Schwecki with Cry No More. And right before that, we had the Miami Boys Choir with Sunshine. You've been listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Ellie Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad. And I want to thank you for joining me this week and every week right here Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 on NachumSiegel.com. Just a reminder, everybody, of course, the JM and the AM Marathon fundraiser is going on. So please make sure to make your pledges as generously as you are able. You can do so online at jmintheam.org. I want to thank you for joining me. I want to thank Ellie Sheva Diamond for joining me today. And, of course, we look forward to bringing you another excellent Jewish reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network.